Mac Power Users, Episode 605, File Management in the Cloud Era. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I'm joined today by Stephen Hackett. Welcome back, Stephen. Hey, David. It's good to be back. Thanks for holding down the fort last week. I really enjoyed the episode. Uh, I listened to it the, the evening it came out, and really good interview. Jay is a great guy, a welcome member to the uh, to the Relay family. And uh, him and I have kind of become friends over uh, the, the COVID times. He actually lives pretty close to me, so... Uh, we're planning on getting together when things mellow out a little bit more, and uh, I'm looking forward to spending some time with him. But uh, a good guy with a lot of good workflows. Today, we're going to go deep on file management and cloud, which is something we haven't really combined those two on the show, but things have changed so much in the last few years, we thought it was time. But before we do, let's talk about St. Jude. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. So we are in the midst of our fundraising campaign for St. Jude. You can learn more and, of course, donate at stjude.org slash relay. The reason we do this is that my oldest son is a cancer survivor. When he was six months old, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor, had, I don't even know how many operations. He had 18 rounds of chemotherapy, countless scans, and that's been a long time. He's getting ready to be 13, and so it's been uh, 12 years, and St. Jude has never billed my family a dime for his care, and that's their whole mission. They treat kids with cancer, but they also treat the whole family. So no family ever gets a bill from St. Jude for treatment, for travel. You know, Memphis is in my hometown. That's not true for most people. Most people have to come and go. St. Jude covers all that. They cover food while you're here. You don't have to worry about those things, so you can just focus on your child's well-being. And I can't tell you how much that means, not only, of course, from the obvious financial standpoint, but the fact that you don't even have to worry about it is just such a huge weight off your shoulders and what is the most stressful time of your life. It's an unbelievable thing. Yeah, I, I honestly can't imagine what it would feel like to get that news, but what a blessing it is to have St. Jude there. I mean, because not only when you get some news like that, do you worry about your child? But there's all these side things like, are we going to go bankrupt? You know, is, you know, how are we going to get through this? And to have an instant support network and people that will take care of um, your sick child for free. I mean, I don't know. I, I said this before. I don't know if it was on MPO, one of the other podcasts, but I do feel like our world is way too polarized. All of us need to take a chill pill and not be so hard on each other. But this is like one of those things where nobody should be in disagreement, you know, yeah. <laughs> kids with cancer need treatment and that's what St. Jude does. And I, uh, I, uh, I love giving money to that organization every year when we go through this and um, it just, you know, when you give, it does make you feel better. And, uh, and you know, with all the things going on in the world, why don't we all help out a little bit? And, the MPU audience, I know how big you guys are. I know how many people we have listening to the show. If all of you guys just put $5 in, we would be crushing this goal right now. So um, what I would ask is just give something. You know, I understand it's hard times, too. I mean, we've got that in my family. My wife lost her job. We're paying for health insurance. we got college tuition. It's tough right now. 
but we're still going to find money. And um, if you can find a little bit, we would really appreciate it. And I know that all those families that are in that moment of need right now, like Stephen was so many years ago, they would appreciate it as well. So please, please find it in your heart to, you know, give a, a week of Starbucks to St. Jude and just, just think how much good you can do. Yeah, I just uh, I dug up a blog post I wrote two years after his diagnosis. I haven't read this blog post in a long time, wow, uh, but it will be that's hard to read. <laughs> yeah, it'll be in the show notes if you want some more background on our story. But for for what it's worth for us, we are just one small family in this giant family of St. Jude patients, and so uh, your help goes to support all of them. And it really means the world to all of us at Relay to see how the community around Relay and really the Apple community at large uh, supports this. So we'd love to have you join us at stjude.org slash Relay. And, you know, the MPU audience has been awesome for a long time. I, even before this show joined the Relay Network, uh, we were uh, our, our listeners were donating money when you started doing this. And I... Uh, I'm very proud of our listeners, and and I know they're going to deliver again this year. So thanks, everybody. Thank you. Uh, so my seminar went really well, my webinar. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I watched it. I thought the format was fantastic. You had a bunch of people show up. Uh, what are kind of your takeaways from it? Uh, just, you know, I started these last year, and then I spent like a, a boatload of money on the service, you know, because like if you want to have, you know, you know, thousands of people sign up for one of these webinars, you've got to have the bandwidth to cover it and everything. And so I, now that I've, I've paid the money, <laughs> I decided I really want to make these worthwhile to people. I know a lot of people listen to the show and, and buy the field guides. And I wanted to have something that I could share and it went really well. I got great feedback from listeners. I was able to um, uh, have a link so the people who couldn't make it could still watch it. Um, an edited version went into the Keyboard Maestro field guide. So if you buy the field guide next year, you're going to have an extra hour of content in it on using a lot of cool Keyboard Maestro and Apple Script goodness to make Apple Mail work better. And the you know the feedback from the people who attended was great. And uh, you know I've got you know the camera working right. I finally got the audio working right. I feel like I've worked out the kinks. So I'm I'm very happy with it. And um, I was just talking to you know one of the people on my little team and uh i think we're going to try and do one of these every six weeks so i'm going to try and make that a regular thing going forward if you've got ideas that you'd like me to cover in a webinar let me know I've, i'm making a list already yeah and if and if people sign up they can watch it later right yeah but you need to sign up i mean that was a, a confusing thing I, a lot of people wrote me afterwards saying well now i just want the video but the way the service works you have to have signed up for it to get it but you know, I'm, I'm finding ways around it and stuff, but going forward, it'd be a lot easier if you just sign up, even if you're not going to be able to make it. Like, for instance, this one, it was 9 a.m. Pacific, which was like 3 a.m. in Australia or something. I somebody over in that area was telling me how, what, what a ridiculous time it was. And, <laughs> and uh, but it, as long as they sign up, they still get that link and they can cool. still watch, watch the video. So it was fun. And, and my dog made an appearance. So that was kind of fun. Yeah. She hopped up in the chair at the beginning. Yeah. But she didn't like the light after a few minutes. She she went and sat on the other side of the light and just watched me judgmentally. Yeah. Taking notes about her own email setup, probably. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> She's like, oh, same black hole. I didn't know about that. Oh, that that's sounds good. To good. Know. Yeah. 
uh, well, uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you're going to be doing more of them. Like I said, I think the format's great for you. I texted you that afternoon. I was like, that's yeah. that's a prime sparky real estate. I think we're going to do something with, now that I have this fancy account, I think we're going to try and do something with it with Mac Power Users. And uh, yeah. we're in the very early stages of this, but I think Steven and I are going to co-host one at some point where we're going to do something fun about MPU and people can, you know, tune in with us live. And uh, we literally just decided to do it a few days ago. So we're not sure what even that means now, but if you've got a great idea for that, let us know in the forums. Yeah. Cool. Virtual MPU hangout. Yeah. Today on more power users, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, this weird story that I worked on where I was looking for a date for something in tech history and like the primary source was wrong. Anyways, it was like this whole thing that unfolded. I wrote some about it, but I've, uh, I want to talk about it here with you because it was such a, a bizarre <laughs> situation I found myself in. So that'd be more power users today. Yeah. I definitely have thoughts on reporting history and news. It's um, I've bumped into that a few times in the law practice and it's, it's, it's quite humorous if you get down to the details. All right, uh, file systems and clouds. Um, we, if we, if you go back into the MPU archives, we talked about file systems before, but something has changed over the years in terms of Apple has increased the technologies for sorting and availability on primarily the Mac, but also the the mobile devices. But also the cloud has emerged as a force that people can now rely on, and I think it's really kind of changed the way. We do file management. And I know if you are listening and you've been using the same tools for file management for 10 years, you definitely want to listen to today's show. But even if you are kind of evolving as the cloud arises, I think we've got a couple ideas today on on ways to make that better. It was interesting putting this together, realizing that, you know, in a lot of things we talk about as they change over time and as new tools come to the surface, the old tools kind of go away. But with file management, some of that's happened, but the idea of files and folders is pretty old, right? I mean, the original Mac sort of made it accessible to a lot of people for the first time. But even before then, the idea of directories, of of files and folders being the organizational structure, that's as old as computing is almost. And that's still here but like you said apple and others have added to it over time yeah i mean i i worked on command line computer terminals before there were graphical user interface computers and everything was directory based so the the little folder icon that apple brought with the original macintosh and some of its competitors at the time were doing the same thing it was it was a familiar paradigm for anybody that worked on computers, but for people who hadn't been working on the command line, it was immediately grokkable. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I get it. There's a folder. I can put things in the folder. And uh, so that was the original file system. And I think that, you know, that still has a lot of merit, but people have been trying to, to evolve with that and, and improve upon it. And one of the ways that has been, kicking around for a long time is tagging. And I don't know if you recall originally on people did tagging on the Mac with finder comments. Do you remember that? Um, you would select, you'd, you'd select a file and then hit command I to show information. And in the finder show information box, there was like a comment area. 
and people would type in tags in that area and then they could search them, which was a total hack for, for, uh, for tagging. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely remember that. And it, it gave people like this kind of hidden bit of metadata. So you didn't have to have something in your file name necessarily, but you could still locate it later. And in, in the history of OS 10, tagging was not there in the beginning, even though some of that had existed in the classic Mac OS. Yeah. But uh, it finally did show up. Uh, I think in Panther was when tagging showed up in OS 10. And it's um, it's a pretty basic system, I think. You're the tagger between the two of us. But uh, it, it's kind of been the same since Apple announced it. Well, Pretty I mean, they, they had colored labels that you could put on files, which was sort of a form of tagging. And it seems like the tagging, and someone inside Apple could probably tell me that I'm wrong, but it seems like tagging was kind of built on that same principle of the colored labels because yeah. the tags have colors, but you can add names to them and custom names, and then you can sort by them, you can um, nest them, and you can have them show in the sidebar. And because Apple had been so blasé about tags for so long that when they showed up, everybody in like the power user community had like one eyebrow up. It's like, okay, so you tell me you have tags, but are you actually going to support them? And like, if the operating system changes in two years, are they just going to go away? Because, you know, folders and files are a mainstay. You know, the nice thing is that folders and files that you make are never going away. That's a portable file system. Like if you go from windows to Mac or Mac to, you know, windows or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever platform you're on, if you've got files and folders, you can move that structure and it goes with you. And so people were always kind of a fan of the folders, but one of the key differences with folders and, and tagging is the multi-dimensionality of a tag. Um, uh, if you have a folder, it can hold a file. Well, a file can only go into one folder. So if you've got a gas bill, you can say, well, does that go into the gas bill folder or does that go into the bills folder? Or, you know, or does that go into the utility folder? And you pick one. And you put it there, and then you hope that when you need to go find it, that you pick the right place to go look for it. And I understand that you can do searches on Mac and all that. But in general, like in your head, where is that folder? You know, what what belongs in that folder? Whereas a, a tag can appear in multiple places. Like you can have multiple tags on the same file. So if you have that gas bill... You could apply the utility tag, the gas bill tag, the bill tag, and then you could search on any one of those tags and get to it. So in essence, the file appears in multiple places, which it can't do with the folders. So that's better, right? You know, and, and it is better. I mean, the idea that you can have it multiple places is a better technology. But the thing is, there's always this underlying fear that if I invest my time putting all these tags on all these files, and then Apple says, you know what, this whole tagging thing, you know, we looked at the numbers, only 5% of our users are doing this. It's not worth the trouble to keep maintaining it, you know, starting with Mac OS, you know, 12 or 14 or 16, whatever, uh, we're no longer having tagging. So we're dropping tag support. And then all of a sudden, 
you your files are a mess because you don't have tags anymore, right? Yeah, that's always a danger. I think particularly when, like you said, you're using a feature that feels like it's sort of in a dusty corner of the operating system. And uh, and especially, um, I mean, labels, like you manage them in the preference pane for Finder. Like it, it is not an area of Mac OS that feels like anyone at Apple ever looks at. And so the concern is sometime when they're sweeping up the floor and getting rid of stuff that people aren't using anymore, that just kind of goes out with the rest of the stuff. Yeah. But the fact is now tags have been in the operating system for, I don't know, about 10 years now. I've kind of lost track how long they've been here, but they've been in it for a long time. And Apple has extended the tagging support over to iOS and iPad OS. And I have, you know, moaned and groaned about the implementation of tagging but the fact is the tags sync and from my experience they sync accurately so uh, if you put tags on your files on your mac and then you jump over to your ipad and you search the tag you're going to find the files so apple has dug in deeper with tags over the course of of history with this and i do feel like they could put more time and effort into like management tools and creation tools uh, the the underlying architecture is there. And at some point, I think it gains a certain amount of momentum where uh, I'm not nearly as afraid of it being yanked out of the operating system as I was, you know, when it first showed up. Yeah, I think when it made the jump to the files app, that that I think, A, it was surprising to some people that, that Apple would would bring that over. But even though I mean, we could do a whole show on the files app yeah, <laughs> itself. Yeah. But the more findery it becomes, the more I think so, the more solid ground is under the, those features. Because Apple wouldn't take the time to re-implement them if it was just going to go away. Yeah, and I think underlying all of this is a legitimate concern at Apple that the historical folders and file system is antiquated and not something that newer computer users want to monkey around with. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was even a time, like in, in the beginning of iCloud, in fact, it may be the, the keynote where Jobs, it was his last one where he introduced iCloud, and he was talking about, hey, we've finally gotten rid of the a file management, you know, because we'll talk about this, but the model for a long time was the document belonged to the app, at least on yeah. iOS. And to a degree, he's right. The The complication does go way up when you hit the... Uh, file system while things like mail and photos and browsing like that content fits within their apps files just live outside of that in a way that apple hasn't been able to corral quite yet yeah i mean there's like a curve there where if you're at the lower end if you're just writing an occasional pages letter or you've got a, a single spreadsheet to manage your personal finances managing those documents through the application makes sense. But as you start to kind of crank up the dial on being a power user, suddenly maybe you've got a project that has a Photoshop document and a Word document and a numbers spreadsheet and a keynote slide deck. And you've got things that are all related to a project, but in different applications. And in that case, the project-based model, which is a folder, makes a lot more sense than an app-based model. And I feel like the, the solution Apple came with, worked up with worked great for 
people on a simple on the simple end of that curve and it made things harder for people on the high end of that curve. I think that's exactly right. But, you know, they've been they've been poking around the edges of this whole problem this whole time. Like I do think tags are something you can rely rely on now whether you want to deal with it or not is up to you. Uh, if you do a lot of work on iPad as opposed to a laptop, um, I would frankly recommend you don't do tagging too much because it's just too hard. I mean, you can write automation scripts with shortcuts and plugins and there, there's ways around it. Every time this subject comes up, I get all these email about, you know, the ways people are building these, you know, contraptions to manage tags on iOS, but it's just not really that simple unless you want to kind of go down the rabbit hole. And, uh, but if you're on the Mac, I think like a shallow set of folders with tags is a great way to manage your files. And, uh, you know, that way you don't have to have so many layers of folders and you can use tags, but if things go wonky on your tags, you've still got enough folders that you can find what you need. Yeah. And as we get into it, we'll see that moving things to cloud storage providers in some ways doesn't change any of this because yeah. at least for Mac users, Dropbox as a service is abstracted away. I just have a folder that happens to sync, so I can still do all my findery type things in there. On iOS, it's a little bit different. And so uh, we will kind of get into where the the cloud storage providers can add on to this model. I I think we should talk about Lion, though, real quick, because that was kind of an inflection point on file systems. Yeah, Lion, in a lot of ways, was an inflection point for for macOS, I think. Uh, It really change the document model for the Mac. So the way that just documents worked and interacted with the file system changed. Before this, you say you open a Word document and you hit save as and you give it a name and then you just hit save a bunch of times every time you, if you're like me. So I'm looking at my keyboard. Uh, the two keys have no print left on them or very little print. The left command key and the S key because I hit command S and save all the time. Even in apps sure. that don't really use it, it's just <laughs> burned into my uh, burned into my left hand. But in Lion, Apple changed that model. And the thought behind it was, a user should never be caught out because they forgot to save a document. So really, three things happened. And I'll have a link in the show notes to John Syracuse's Lion review, where you can, you know, if you're interested to go down this rabbit hole, you can read more about it. But, uh, the line model said three things. One, all documents should be automatically saved even when an application is quitting. So if you're working on a document and you never save it, it's just be being saved in the background all the time. And if you go to quit the app, you should get an alert saying, hey, you're quitting this app. Do you want to save this document? And uh, I, I'm sure that has saved lots of people lots of stress in the 10 years since macOS Lion came out. Yeah. I mean, for the apps that support it. I mean, for the yeah, and we're gonna get we're gonna get to that later because yeah. this is not the universal model on macOS by far. Another change was if a document is referenced elsewhere, unsaved changes would be reflected in the reference. And so, say that again, I'm working on a document, a pages document, and I've already attached it to an email draft to David, but then I go back into the document and I change something. Well, you would think in the pre-Lion days, oh, I need to reattach it because I've saved a new version of it and the version in my mail draft is old. And Lion said, no, users shouldn't have to worry about that. Automatically update the reference when the original is updated. 
very clever, I think. I think out of the three, maybe the coolest one. Yeah. And then uh, the third one was pretty simple. Documents and applications should reopen after a computer is rebooted. That's an option you can set. You can set it each time you restart. But if a computer comes back up, all your documents and applications can reopen right where you left them. Yeah. And I think underlying all of this is the idea that, you know, the computer as toaster, the idea that it's an appliance and it just does what you need it to do. And uh, I do think, you know, going back to the early days with Steve Jobs, I think that has always been kind of the goal for Apple is to make computers that that do all that stuff for you. So you can just create whatever it is that you create on a computer. Oh, most definitely. You know, I don't think Jobs wanted people to have to worry about this sort of thing because again, like you said, you just want to sit down and use the thing, right? You don't want to have to worry about where you've saved, you know, what document. And and the the thing is, in the early days, computing wasn't ready for that because uh they didn't have the sort of resources that we have now. But really it's it's come a long way where your Mac can just save everything in the background all the time and you're never going to even notice and yeah, with ssds when you reboot you know i mean do you remember like in the spinning hard drive days you would if you, even if you set too many apps to open a login like it would take a little time before you could actually use your computer and now in the late intel era the apple silicon era the ssd era you can have 30 apps and 30 documents reopen every time and it's pretty quick and so yeah. in a lot of ways the file system and the way that the operating system considers files and applications has gotten better as the computer themselves have become faster. Sure. I mean, back on the original Mac, it, it, uh, it would crush the system resources just to move a window. It had to do an outline of it instead. And exactly. I, thought the, I thought the outline was amazing. And then to load the, the file, <laughs> you had to put a different floppy in because that's the way it worked. But, but yeah, we've come a long way with this, but, you know, I do wonder, I guess maybe we should save this for the end, but have we come far enough with making this easier? This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by 1Password. We all know that we need secure passwords to keep things like our online accounts, banking, everything nice and secure. But it's hard to share those with the people in our lives. If you have a family member or coworkers that need a password, that security goes way down as soon as you email or text it to them. 1Password for Families and 1Password for Teams solve this problem. You can share login information with the important people in your life and give you fine-grained control over who has access to what. 1Password works across a wide range of browsers. Just in my life, I have it on my Mac, have it on my Mac laptop, my iPad, my iPhone, my PC, it syncs everywhere. And 1Password, the team there is always staying on top of things. So I can use features like Face ID or Touch ID to log in quickly. I can log in with a couple of taps of my Apple Watch if I'm on a Mac without those really nice features. <clears throat> Intel Macs. <clears throat> but I can just go on and on about this. 1Password is where I store my passwords, my secure notes, bank routing information, credit cards. Everything is there. I know I have it with me everywhere I go. And most importantly, that it's secure. 
So head on over to onepasswordcom MPU to learn more and to sign up for a free 30-day trial. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off. Once again, that's onepasswordcom MPU. Well, in terms of organizational methods, we, we went down the tag rabbit hole a little bit in the last segment, but let's back up a little bit. You know, the whole idea of nested folders and files, I mean, that was on the original Mac. It was in the original, you know, terminal systems in a, you know, less visual way. Is that still enough? You know, I, I was thinking about my uses and I don't use tagging. i use folders and subfolders, but I've augmented that a lot with search. It's it's rare that I end up digging through folders and subfolders and subfolders to find something just because that's pretty slow, right? Because you gotta you have to like take in the whole list of folders and figure out which one you want to go into. And I still think for me the the folders and subfolders route works well as an organizational tool. If I need to go find something uh, maybe much later, like maybe I don't remember the file name or that project you mentioned earlier, right? That you have all these different file formats in. A a folder lets me keep all of that stuff all in one place for later reference. And I think that's the way that I think about folders and subfolders now, that it's more for long-term organization or it's leaving me breadcrumbs to go back on later. But... I think at some point, and I think your example is perfect about, you know, what folders does Bill go in, it it does let you down because you are ultimately choosing one place for that document to live. And some documents just don't fit into that model. Some documents need more. Yeah. I mean, and as originally implemented on the, you know, early days of the Mac, I feel like folders and files is not enough. But Emergent technologies have grown around folders and files that have given them superpowers since 1987. Um, I mean, just think about this. Stephen already talked about one search. Now, not only do you have to get, not put a separate floppy in to get your files, um, you have got you know a massive amount of storage in the tiniest of laptops very quickly accessed and you've got good search technologies. And I know that, you know, every time this comes up, people want to rail against Apple search, you know, spotlight, whatever. But in my opinion, it is very, very competent search for the modern era that you can search out a file. And so that is like search is a technology that goes on top of folders and files that we didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Another one that I believe is super game changing is automation. Like I have a script I wrote in in Alfred. And if I open up the Alfred search bar, and we did a whole show on Alfred, so I think I even talked about this one on that one. If I just type CL period, that's clients, right? It searches only my client folder directory on my disk. Um, so I'm drilling to the client directory, my legal client directory. So I go CL period, I'm sorry, CL space hack it. Let's say Steven's my client and and it said, and it'll give me, and it only returns folders. It doesn't return files and it'll, it'll say, you know, Steven hack it matter. And I can just hit return and open directly to that folder. And then I'm off to the races on whatever I'm doing for Steven. That's a little script that I wrote years ago and I use every day multiple times when I'm doing legal work. And like all of a sudden you've got these technologies that we are bolting on top of a folder file system that 
you know, make them more powerful. And then another emergent technology, which we're going to get into more later in the show, is the cloud. And the cloud and folders and files go together like chocolate and peanut butter. You know, you've got this folder system, you stick it in the cloud, you go and you open up that same folder system on a different platform with a different operating system, you see the same files. You don't lose, you know, it's not like tags where you got to worry about whether they're supported. It's just folders and files. It's basic technology that you can overlay or enhance it with other powers inside the computer. And I think that that makes folders and files very relevant still. It's let files and folders and subfolders, that whole system, it's let it expand, right? When you had everything in your life on a couple floppies, you can keep up with the mental model of that. Yeah. But I'm sitting at a computer with 24 total terabytes of internal storage. I can't keep track of that in my brain, right? And even if I can organize it in folders and subfolders, as I go, search is the key to unlocking all of it. And so, yeah, I think layering that on top really has given it the ability to live on into the modern age. Agreed. And that's why tagging has this weird question mark over it because it is more powerful, like I was saying in the last segment, but it doesn't necessarily jive with that whole stack that we just got done going through. Um, I mean, you can sort by tag, you can search by tag, all that stuff is there, but that portability is lost with tagging. And that's the reason why a lot of people like Steven are hesitant to even try it. Uh, One other uh, thing that sort of spans all of this is, is smart folders where you can set up a persistent search and you can use location, content, tags, all of that as input and let Finder build you a a view into your data that is current and up-to-date as things change on the system. Yeah, I, I feel like this is like such an underused feature of the Mac. Well, actually, I actually have two things on this. Number one is more people should be using smart folders, and number two, Apple should be putting these on iPhone and iPad. It's it's yes. crazy that, it's, that they're not there. But the... Um, but that's just kind of another knock against file management on iPad. Um, but the, uh, yeah, smart folders. Um, you can build contextually aware folders. Like like one of the ones I use is show me all files I've opened in the last few days. I mean, what a great folder that is, you know, because I, if, I, if I've got stuff buried in my file system, but I want to go resume work on it, I can just go look in there and there it is. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes to the the Finder episode we did a while back. But if you go into Finder and you instigate a search, the you get a, a drop down of the different parameters you want. And by default, there's half a dozen there. Name, contents, created date, that sort of thing. Kind, which is, you know, an image, a document, etc. But if you go in and hit other, there are, I mean, it's over 100, I'm sure, different attributes that you can search by. And so if you work with a lot of photos, for instance, there are tons in here about uh, the ISO speed, the aperture, the uh, any EXIF data that is there. You can really customize these things to your exact needs. Like, I'm not sure how many people need a postscript name attribute to build a smart folder, but someone does. And whoever that person is, is going to be psyched that they heard this episode of MPU because that is an option that you can enable when making 
uh, searches and smart folders in Finder. I feel like almost all of our listeners now are going to go write a PostScript-based smart folder. I just feel like that they're not going to be able to help it's gonna themselves. Be, it's going to be a, a big thing. Just um, in case. Somebody at Apple is looking at data. They're going to be like, what? Why is this metadata suddenly so important? Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, But, you know, I use, like, a recent use for me of smart folders is Daisy and I are doing this goofy Disneyland field guide thing together. And like like I said when I talked about it last time, it's just like a dumb thing that we're doing together just to have fun. But she wants to do more of the edits, and I'm really busy, and it's hard for me to find time for the edits. So she's learning Final Cut. And I've got like a whole system where I store all these massive 4K video files whenever we get back from a a trip to Disneyland. Uh, I built a smart folder that just surfaces those files for her because, you know, somebody like her who is very smart person, but not necessarily super into computers. If I try to teach her where to find all this data on my backup, you know, data drive, she's never going to remember that. But if I just have a smart folder, she clicks on it. There it is for her. We're good, you know. And that just like made that made the whole data set accessible to her, based on a smart folder. And because it's smart, it updates based on um, upload date, so she gets to see only the most recent stuff. Uh, one thing that we sort of uh, passed over in talking about tags that I, I want to circle back to is, uh, what is your approach in creating or managing tags. So one thing I think some people, including me, who who aren't taggers really in any system, one thing that always keeps me away from that is, well, how do I keep up with what's going to be a tag? What earns that right? How do I keep them, you know? Say I'm working on a house project and I have house and home. Like, how do I... Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you keep that from just becoming a mess? Yeah. A couple uh, good tag rules. Um, Only use lowercase words. Um, So you've got nice, you know, no case sensitivity problems. You don't have two homes, one with a capital H, one with lower. I use tags. And I I, look, I'm not the model citizen of tags here. Brett Terpstra, of all the nerds I know, uses them the most. But I largely use tags for status of files. Like, in, for instance, we are in the closing days of Dev and Think. I know that I keep promising everybody I'm going to release this field guide. It's it is so close. But the uh, but I've got you know like a hundred video files that are in various states of production, and we tag those files. Like, has it you know it, has it been uploaded? Does it have closed captioning on it yet? All that stuff is done with tags that we apply. And then, you know, I share that with a couple people and we can just check tag status and see where things are and what needs to be done. So um, for file status stuff, it's it's pretty simple to keep track of it and then, you know, use nice colors so you can say, oh, if it's green, it's done, it's ready to go. If it's red, it still needs something done to it. So I use tags that way. I actually don't do the utility slash gas slash bill tags because I found that, like you, I I, ha- I know in my head, in my head that is a, a gas bill goes into the gas bill folder or the gas company folder. And that's exactly where I think it's going to be. I don't get lost looking for it. I don't think, oh, wait, wouldn't that be in the utility folder? No, because in the utility folder is where I put the, the gas folder, you know. And um, so I don't really have a problem with that stuff so much. But uh, so I, I'm not a good example either, Stephen. 
Well, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I know. But but I do think they're useful for status-based stuff. And honestly, if they were easier to implement across, um, I would be happier with them. Like one of the things I like to do is I use tags to trigger Hazel. I think it's one of the best ways to trigger Hazel file automation because it is 100% accurate, right? Um, if a gas bill goes in and you mark it bill tag, gas tag, uh, Hazel will know for sure what that is. It'll give it the right name. It'll put it in the right folder. It'll do whatever you need to do with it. And one of the dreams for me was being able to sit on the couch with my iPad and apply those tags and then have my Mac on the back end run the Hazel automation based on those tags. And um, just applying the tags, I can do it. I have to write custom shortcuts for it, and it's a pain in the neck. Uh, what I found ultimately to do better was DevonThink because DevonThink has a mobile app and its tags actually work across and they're easier to apply. But, but you know, so I was thinking to use tags as triggers as well. But if you're going to work off an iPad, it, it gets a little harder. Um, so I'm not I'm not doing a good job of selling tags today, am I? I mean, not to me, but I'm pretty anti-tag. So <laughs> yeah, I was one time I went to the uh, Mac Stock conference a few years ago and. Uh, it was the year before, a couple of years before, the one you and I went to, together, and, and Brett Terpstra did this great session on tags. And then at the very end of the session, he said, but, you know, Apple could break, and all this stuff could also stop working, you know? That <laughs> 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 was like the ending of his presentation. I'm like, Brett, you are not helping us. You're not helping the cause of tags here. No. <laughs> wow. What a way to end a talk, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we got to think of that on. I do think that tags, like for a status indicator, like I'm talking about, like to, you know, a bill is ready to be filed by Hazel or uh, a team is looking at a folder of documents and wants to know which of these documents still needs closed captioning. Stuff like that, I find it, it incredibly useful for. But I'm not really using it as an organizational system. That's fair. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Stop drowning in email today. Go to SaneBox.com MPU and receive a $25 credit on any plan. When I did the email webinar a few weeks ago, I talked repeatedly in it about SaneBox. And it was kind of embarrassing because SaneBox is a sponsor. But the fact is, they're not just a sponsor. It's a very valuable tool to me. SaneBox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours. It works with all kinds of email programs and services, so you don't have to get a special app or a special service. So if you're on Gmail or IMAP or iCloud, SaneBox can still take care of you. And whatever email application you want, it works in that as well. SaneBox offers great email filtering, starting with SaneLater, where you can keep in your inbox only those emails that matter the most. Then there's the same black hole where you can unsubscribe with one click. If you get an email from someone and you don't want to hear from that person again, put them in the black hole, never hear from them again. Uh, there's also some snoozing options so you can defer events to a day or a week or a month or whatever you want. Maybe next Tuesday at 3 p.m. If that's your thing, SaneBox can do that. And my favorite feature is Sane Reminders, where you can carbon copy or blind copy any email to a period of time at SaneBox.com, like one week at SaneBox.com. Now, if you send an email with a BCC to one week at SaneBox.com, and the person you emailed doesn't reply to you, then SaneBox sends you a reminder to say, hey, you never got a reply to that email. 
I used to do like a very complicated workflow in OmniFocus to keep track of emails that I needed replies on. SaneBox totally fixes that, and all I have to do is fill out a BCC field. It's so much easier and so much more effective. But it's more than filtering. You can also move attachments to Dropbox or other cloud services, and they have various pricing plans starting as low as $4 a month. You get a 14-day free trial, so go ahead and check it out at samebox.com slash MPU and receive a $25 credit on any plan. Uh, 66% of MPU listeners who tried SaneBox subscribe, so you'll probably love it too. It's just a really great service and really helps you conquer email. So uh, stop listening to me. Just go check it out, samebox.com slash MPU to receive that $25 credit on any plan. And we thank SaneBox for all of their support of the Mac Power users. All right, so we've been teasing the cloud throughout the show. Let's do a quick little history on the cloud and then look at where we are today. And um, um, for me, I can tell you the very first time the light bulb went on for me with the cloud was, of all things, iDisk. Do you remember iDisk? I, I, I do, and it's really the, the same story for me. I mean, they said, Apple said, oh, you have, and it wasn't an iCloud, it was an i. What was the what was uh, the it service? It was in dot .mac. Uh, yeah, you, or you iTools dot maybe account, before that. Or maybe it was iTools. I think it was iTools. And they're like, oh, and you get your very own iDisk. And mm-hmm. and it was just described to me, and the, the documentation was, if you put this iDisk drive on two Macs, let's say you've got a laptop and a desktop, and you put a file in one on your desktop, then it's going to show up on your laptop. And that was, you know, that was the dream, right? As soon as you heard that, you're like, oh, file synchronization handled by the operating system, you know, platform vendor, which was great because that was the very early days of cloud synchronization. Nobody was really doing it. And I thought, this is perfect. And I dumped megabytes of files into it and then went over to my laptop and opened it and looked in the iDisk folder and there was nothing there, (laughs) you know? And after a lot of tests, I realized that, I think the entire iDisk platform is run on maybe an old iMac under Steve's desk. You know, I I just don't (laughs) think they had, they didn't have a lot of like background uh, hardware to manage that. And uh, eventually I I kept paring down my iDisk contents until I had a text file. Because even back then I was still a text file nerd. And I realized that a text file indeed could sync with the iDisk stream. If I put a small text file in on my, uh, on my desktop, it would show up on my laptop. And that was uh, the first time I, I saw this, this technology actually working. Yeah. For me, I didn't have two computers at, the, at this point when it, when it came out, but it let me, I just, I like the feeling that my stuff was quote unquote backed up. We're going to get to that, uh, you know, someplace else. I didn't know what I know now, but it really was, at least for Mac users, the sort of first swing at this magic folder puts things on all your devices. And when third parties showed up, like Dropbox, which I, I was in college when Dropbox launched, and it was a huge yeah. deal because you could have the same sort of magic folder everywhere. And eventually you could also access it from the web. It really was, I think for a lot of people, the first time that your files were beyond just your physical computer and you could have access to them really anywhere in the world, right? Anywhere with a computer, I could log into Dropbox and have access to almost everything on my computer. 
Yeah, there was there was a bunch of competitors at the beginning. I remember one of them that might have been the winner was Sugar Sink. I don't know if you yeah. remember that one. There was a bunch of these, but then Dropbox quickly jumped to the front of the line, and the reason was uh, because whatever bit of um, server work they were doing, I don't know if they were using Amazon at the time or what their back end was, but they did the thing where I could put the files in the folder on my iMac and I could push my chair across the room to the, to the laptop and they would show up. And that was the first service that ever did that reliably. That was, that was how they won. I mean, they just, they got fast sync down before anybody else did. Yeah. And they did add a bunch of services on afterwards. And, you know, my, my feelings about Dropbox have gone from adoration to complication over the years. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of all the stuff they install on my computer every time I install the Dropbox app, but, but they still do deliver that underlying promise of you put something in your Dropbox folder here and it's going to show up there very quickly. It's reliable, but you know, and, but that was the only one. And then iCloud showed up, you know, several years later, you know, kind of late to the game, but iCloud, we were a lot more leery of because those of us that remembered the iDisc days, and that was kind of at the, towards the end of the whole thing that Apple can't do cloud, you know, remember that was like the narrative mm-hmm. for so long, but that iCloud showed up and everybody's like, well, how can they do that? They can't even, you know, get whatever. Right. And, um, everybody thought Dropbox was going to eat their lunch, but iCloud has slowly chipped away and I've been a, um, and iCloud has the exact same service, not as many features, but the underlying service of you've got the magic folder, you know, just like the old iDisc days, you put a file in there and then you go over to your other computer or your iPad or your iPhone. And that file is equally accessible to you there. And it does that. I mean, it's, it works. So file management suddenly has reliable methods of storing your documents in the cloud, either through Apple directly or third parties. And uh, Dropbox isn't the only one. We probably should do a show at some point on all the competitors because there's a whole bunch of them that are based on security models or access models and things that aren't quite as universal as Dropbox, but very good anyway. Uh, But for today, it's good enough to say you can look at iCloud or Dropbox and you can move that set of nested folders onto that cloud storage and have it everywhere. Yeah, the the thing that I think a lot of people struggle with iCloud Drive is the the lack of fine-grained control. Like yeah. I, I agree with you, the Dropbox app and service has gotten pretty big on the Mac, but I can tell it I want this folder local all the time. Always download everything. Uh, only want to see these, but ha- keep the data on the web until I demand it, right? It's all these different ways of managing it, and iCloud just isn't there uh, with those controls. Yeah, I mean, not only does it not give you the controls, it also doesn't give you the feedback. Um, just recently, I had a file in my iCloud drive that had a dotted iCloud icon next to it, which, you know, what does that mean? And if you start digging far enough, it says, well... You know, we think it's on the cloud, but it's not on your local drive. But there's a right click. You can right click on any file in iCloud and click download now. But it didn't want to download. And I don't know what what was going on. And then I finally just shut the computer down and restarted it. And then it the, the dotted cloud turned solid and I had it on my local drive. And just like you just don't know what is going on. You know, kind of going back to the initial idea of Apple saying, 
we're going to make this an easy process that anybody can do. Sometimes, you know, that allow forces you to smack your face into the, you know, sliding glass door of, <laughs> you know, technology where it's like, oh, I thought this was a clear path, but no, there's something here blocking me and I have no idea what it is. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. And that can be annoying or if you're in some sort of mission critical moment, like you're going to work on your presentation on the plane on your way to the, to the talk and it's not there, right? It's It's that sort of concern that really keeps me from using iCloud Drive very much. There's also just that Dropbox has that long history you spoke about. And my Dropbox folder on my Mac is full of shared folders with all sorts of different people and projects and things. And Dropbox still, for better or for worse, is the default for a lot of people. And there's occasion where someone will send me a shared iCloud folder, but Nine and a half times out of 10, it's a Dropbox link. Yeah, that's beyond the scope of today's show. But I mean, just in summary, Dropbox has way more features. I mean, absolutely. And it is more transparent. iCloud, you're probably paying for the storage anyway, and you've got it already. And uh, I guess that's not much of a testament for it. But what I will say is that I use iCloud way more than you. I moved a bunch of my files onto it because at the time I was using an iPad as a laptop and I found that iCloud file storage was working way better with the files app than Dropbox. And then, you know, then that creates its own inertia because I had all my stuff in iCloud. I built my, all my scripts and shortcuts around iCloud and I built my Hazel automation around the iCloud file storage. And so I've got so many ties into the iCloud storage at this point that, if I wanted to switch it back to Dropbox, it would be quite a bit of work for me. Mm-hmm. But it's working. You know, I haven't had any file loss that I'm aware of. Um, on my field guide stuff, the the editor that I work with does not have um, a big paid Dropbox account, and I don't want to force him to get one. And we do an iCloud shared folder, and it works great. No problems at all. Massive size files jumping back and forth between us daily, and there's not a problem. So... I guess the point for today's show of, of of cloud and file management is that these are real solutions now. You know, no longer is this experimental. If you want to put your file system on the cloud, you can. One thing to uh, always make sure you remember with this is that cloud storage services aren't backups. In particular, these services like iCloud Drive and Dropbox and, and Box where they are syncing a folder, that means that if something goes sideways in that folder, it will get synced around to those other computers that you have logged in, right? So if you're working on a document, you accidentally delete it on your on your iMac, and then you pull your laptop out of your bag and Dropbox syncs, it's going to be gone off your laptop as well. So you really need to think about these things as syncing services, not not backup services because it is a uh, a multi-dimensional relationship it's not a one-way street like backups should be it is literally the exact opposite of backup because this is a folder that other humans have the ability to stick in stick their nose in and delete files from without your permission you know or without your knowledge so not only does it not really back up 
it is a volatile can where something may just disappear one day in there because somebody in your team decided that file was no longer needed. Now, uh, there are solutions for that. You know, I mean, like Dropbox has a really good versioning system and you can go and restore a deleted, a deleted version. But, but at the same time, just understand this is not a backup. I actually did use Dropbox as a backup solution once, um, Years ago, my niece was in getting her master's degree and she was working on her thesis and, um, and I do computer maintenance for everybody in the house basically. And then, um, she was working on this really hard. I knew that I set up a, a free Dropbox account for her and just stored the file there and she didn't even realize it. And then she had some problem where the file got deleted. I don't remember what she did, but some, something went happened. She called me in tears and I just logged into her Dropbox account and restored it because I also kept the the login because, mm-hmm. you know, you do that for, for family, right? You know, sometimes. Uh, and I, I logged in and restored it. I said, well, go check your computer now. And I think to this day, I always get really good Christmas gifts from her because of that day. I mean, I think she'll, she really appreciated that. But this is not a backup system, gang. And uh, and you uh, you need to take that into account. In fact... How do you deal with backup now that we've got files not only on our local drives, but also stored in the cloud? Yeah, really, that's where the control that we were talking about a second ago is really important. Because if your file, if your presentation, whatever it is, is local on your disk, then you can back it up. So we we talk about uh, this a lot with photos. Right. Photos is is an iCloud sync service. And if you have photos set up where all of your images are local to your to your Mac, then those full res images and full res videos are being backed up to things like Time Machine and Backblaze, whatever you know, combination of backups you're using, which we'll get into in a second. But if it is just a representation of a folder that's or, or a file that's not fully on your drive, then you can't get it into your traditional backup systems. Yeah. About once a month, we get an email from a listener um, saying, Hey, just to let you know, you should let your listeners know. And I think we've talked about this on the show, but people do backups. They do full backups of their Mac, but they have files stored on Dropbox or iCloud without downloading, you know, the, the, the actual file to their local drive. And then when they do the backup and something goes wrong, they go to restore, the file is not there. And usually they're okay because a catastrophic event on your Mac doesn't mean a catastrophic event at Dropbox or an iCloud. But it is like a you know glass of cold water in the face when you realize, hey, I never was actually backing that file up. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I recommend is throw money at the problem. Um, either get a big SSD on on your Mac or get an attached drive to your Mac and just get enough storage that you can hit the download all button, whether it be Dropbox or iCloud and have like one computer where you can have that. I do the same thing with photos. Like um, for me, it's the Mac mini it, it between the Mac mini internal storage and the drives attached to it. I can get everything off these various clouds at all times. And then when I run backups on that, then it gets them all, you know, then when I run my, um, my cloud backup service, because all that stuff is on the local drives, all the stuff gets backed up to the cloud backup service. So, um, all this stuff gets backed up, but 
if you're going to use cloud storage, that is a consideration. You need to take it. You know, you can't, you're not backing it up if it's not on your, on your Mac. Yeah, that's right. And with, uh, with Dropbox in particular, I think box as well, you can tell it where that folder should live. So yeah, put it on a big external drive and have everything local. Um, it's also a good use if you, you know, we, uh, I feel like we just keep coming back to the Mac mini home server, but yeah. another good use, if you have a spare Mac somewhere and you're using cloud storage, uh, have it be where everything gets downloaded, right? So for me, that's my Mac pro. My laptop isn't big enough to keep my whole photos library on it. So I just have yeah. it do the, you know, optimized storage thing but they're all local on my on one of my Macs and that's that gets it into my backup flow. And so if you do have that Mac sitting around, that's a great use for it. Yeah, I, I think that is a that is a great use for a Mac Mini. If you are like a, a laptop warrior and you don't want to have a big iMac and deal with all that, um, for a reasonable cost, you can get a Mac Mini, even a used one for this purpose. It doesn't need to be the latest and greatest because all it's doing is downloading stuff from the internet and sticking it on a backup drive and then make that the drive that you're backing up to your cloud service, make that the drive that you're hanging all your backups off of. And then you can, you know, be lean and mean with your laptop and just have that little headless Mac mini somewhere in a corner working for you. This episode of Mac power users is made possible by pingdom from solar winds. While you've been listening to this podcast, how would you know if your website had gone down? Would you know if your customers couldn't click that buy now button or fill out a trial form? You may stumble across the problem by luck, but that means you've already lost out on new customers. You need something to tell you when everything is running smoothly on your site, and more importantly, when it isn't. You need Pingdom. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month. That's more than 400,000 outages every single day. And for as low as just $10 a month, Pingdom can help keep your sites online. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company. You need real-time alerts about critical website issues and customization of how you're alerted, whether via SMS, email, or your team's collaboration apps. Pingdom even tracks and analyzes your website's loading times, so you can see what's affecting the user experience. In short, if you have a website, you need Pingdom. Take charge of monitoring your website in just minutes. Go to pingdom.com RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code MPU at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from Solar Winds for their support for the show and Relay FM. I talked about versioning a little bit with Dropbox earlier, but I do think that is something that we need to kind of dig a bit deeper on because that is a change that we've had. I mean, previously you had the file that was on your on your your hard drive. That's the file. You know, mm-hmm. there wasn't five versions of it. Then then we got Time Machine, which actually did give us local versioning, which is not to be uh, ignored. I, I still find that saves my bacon about two times a year. Something goes wrong. I go in Time Machine and I restore the version from two days ago and I'm uh, much relieved. Do you, do you do find yourself ever doing that, by the way? Do you do the, you know, dig into the Time Machine to to, to save your bacon? 100%. And I think my cadence is about the same as you. I feel like once or twice a year, it's what bails me out. 
It's like, what happened here? What did I do? Sometimes it's like I just go on an edit frenzy and I cut out a bunch of good stuff or or I just screw up an audio file and I need to like wind back to a version from a day or two ago. Um, now that we're doing a lot, I'm doing a lot more video editing now. I suspect I'll probably be going back for some of those as well. So, you know, absolutely. There's no reason not to have a time machine drive attached to any Mac that you own. They, you can do it with a spinning disc, even if it's a laptop and you only plug it in once a week. Um, that is super useful. It's like the most bang for your buck you're going to get in terms of a versioning system on your Mac and a backup as well. But I mean, we're talking about it in terms of versioning right now. Yeah. So when we spoke about the changes that came with lion towards the top of the show, uh, one other big thing happened in that document model change. And that was that Apple changed how save and save as works. And it broke my brain for years, but yeah, me too. Um, me too. <laughs> you know, save as is the tool to use when you want to basically take, okay, I want this document. I want to duplicate it at its current position in history. And then I'm going to have two different files, right? So I'm going to have, you know, maybe I've got my January meeting notes and then I hit save as and I make a February meeting notes and then there are two separate things leading two separate lives. Apple changed that. Initially, it was save as version, which was a really confusing term. And they eventually changed it to duplicate, which I think is a better term. Yeah. And But it basically works the way that save as did. It's just, I'm taking this document, I'm creating a new copy of it with a different name, potentially even a different location. Yeah, it allows you to preserve the original. Right. And then, like, fork it. And mm -hmm. that, for some reason, those changing the label, I found really difficult to, like, get under my fingers. In fact, honestly, I don't think I ever really adapted to that. In the meantime, for anything I want to use, like, as template documents, I just wrote Keyboard Maestro script. So, Keyboard Maestro does all that for me now i don't have to like manually create copies and i i think they're probably the reason i did that was because i could just never seem to get my head wrapped around the way they changed the simple um, label yeah it it i mean <laughs> changing how save as worked pretty gutsy in terms of uh updating your document model yeah but the thing apple has that we don't is you know they have the data they're looking at how many people use the save as button. Definitely. And I would imagine there's a small minority of people that rely upon it like you and me and the vast majority of people that never touch it. So they felt like, oh, we can get away with it. But, you know, Steven and David are just going to have to figure it out. <laughs> uh, one thing that, that was brought to light in this is the ability to uh, view and revert previous versions of a document from within the application. So it's 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 very similar to Time Machine, although it's just local kind of within the document itself. And uh, I've got a link in the show notes to talking about it. It's mostly just in the iWork apps and yeah. some like document apps that third-party developers have written since then. But you can go into the file menu and find revert to and then browse all versions and then you get this time machine like ui where you can go through the history of that just one individual document and pick whatever version you want to to actually yeah. open and revert to and it's every save point so it's not you know time machine is not working 
24-7, right? It's catching up at least once an hour. This, again, like iWork is sort of the canonical example, uh, is doing it every time you hit the save button. And so I had a little test document in preparation for the show, and every time I wrote a new paragraph, I would just hit save. And then I could go to this browse all versions menu item and I could see my six different versions all with one additional paragraph, click the one I wanted and go straight into it. Yeah, that's great. Except I feel like it never took off the way Apple expected it to. And I think part of it is it's kind of fiddly to get it working. I mean, people don't realize it's there and they never got buy-in from third-party developers. And I don't know what the answer would be, but I really wish they had found a way to make this more universal through like, what if this would work in Fission? That's the app that Steven and I use every week to um, to edit our ad spots. I mean, wouldn't it be great if I could go back and you know revert a version through this universal system that is throughout the operating system? And it just, you know, why did it, it just never took off? Yeah, and in fact... Uh, Microsoft Office has, to this day, save and save as commands. Now, they have their own autosave feature that's like unique to them. But at the end of the day, what has happened is all these different document applications do things in slightly different ways. And if you want to see the way Apple intends for it to work, go to iWork. But all these other developers have have either opted into part of these changes or none of these changes along their own thing. And it's gotten a, a, I think it can be confusing to some Mac users as they sort of figure this out for the first time. It's confusing to me because every app chooses its own model, you know, and man, I would like versioning to be everywhere. And, and But at the same time, I don't want Apple to tell developers you're only allowed to do it like this. I mean, that's part of the beauty of the Mac, but I just wish they had found a way to make this more attractive to third-party developers so they didn't have to like, you know, beat them into submission on this, but they could uh, you know, use the carrot not the stick to get more buy-in right. on something as useful as this. Yeah, I agree. But versioning is not just limited to your your backup and the limited, you know, built-in system. You can also find it uh even on iCloud. Yeah, yeah, so I did some experimentation with this. iCloud will let you revert a previous version of iWork documents. So in our iWork episode a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about how they have this web editor and you can revert to previous versions there. The UI is pretty simple, but it totally works. However, for files just stored in iCloud Drive, yeah. so say that I have a picture of David and it's in iCloud Drive and I save it. And then I open it in preview and I adjust the colors and I save it again iCloud's website doesn't seem to provide me any version recovery there. It, it only has the copy that I saved the second time. And I found that a little disappointing that that was not an option that I could find. I mean, if there's one thing that would pull me out of iCloud for what I, because I do have a lot stored in iCloud, it is this feature. Like the idea that it would keep versioning uh, history of my files, that's a, killer feature in Dropbox. And I'm just, you know, for several years, I was shocked that Apple didn't add it to iCloud. And now I don't expect them to ever add it to iCloud. I'll be shocked if they add it at this point. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't seem like it's on their radar. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bummer because 
it's I mean, it really is fantastic if you're using an iWork document. But, you know, I don't know about you, but for me in, in my Dropbox folder, I have all sorts of things. Yeah. Right. I've got images and audio file, all sorts of things. And I would like to be able, if I were to move to iCloud Drive, to retain some sort of versioning. So I could roll back to a, a previous version of that file if, you know, I screwed something up. Yeah. And Dropbox realizes how valuable the feature is because now they've they've tied it into their monetization. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what Dropbox uh they're very good at that. So they have uh versioning. You can go back and, and get an older version of any file uh, saved on their, on their servers. The time limit, how far back you can go depends on the plan you're on 30 days on a basic plan, but 180 day window with the professional plan. Is the basic plan, the hundred dollars a year plan. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So I've got 30 days. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They have basic plus and family. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a little confusing. Um, yeah. But you can you can go in there. They also have like folder recovery. They have lots of good tools around this. Uh, Box does as well. We're kind of focusing just on Dropbox and iCloud. But between those two, Dropbox just blows away what Apple's doing. Yeah, I, iCloud is definitely behind in that element. All all these cloud services have got some sort of versioning. Uh, Google Docs and Sheets, kind of really outside the scope of today's show, but they've got it as well. Yeah, I mean, it really, talk about things that have saved my bacon. The Google Docs version history has saved me, I don't know how many times over the years, especially in show preparation, right? You move a topic around or you change something and need the, the older version of it. It's really easy to do. And I think the UI that Google's come up with that is is honestly pretty good. In addition to you know having these cloud tools now, the question is, well, how do you manage files when you've got a a hybrid of cloud services and local files. And in general, I would argue that the finder has done a pretty good job of keeping up with this stuff. I mean, Dropbox, among the many things it does when it installs itself on your, your Mac is it puts a Dropbox folder in your finder and it allows you just to click in there just like any other drive. And iCloud is of course built right into the system. You've got an iCloud section in your finder as soon as you unwrap your new Mac and turn it on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are additional apps out there that I think you may want to consider if you're doing more high-end file management. Um, and there's a couple usual suspects out there. Uh, we did a whole show on Finder Alternatives, episode 41, and the two big ones there were Forklift and Pathfinder. I guess we don't really need to go through them in depth right now. Um, I will say that um, uh, um, Pathfinder... I didn't realize because I've been paying for it, but they're in setup now. That's a, a sponsor this week. Um, but I, you know, I have a setup subscription too. So I'm now using Pathfinder through setup. I didn't but pay for the upgrade. I'm just getting through setup. So if you have a setup subscription, I think you have access to both of those apps already, which is kind of cool. Another one, which we're going to be talking about a lot more in the coming weeks as I release the DevonThink field guide is DevonThink. I mean, DevonThink really is, a replacement finder in a lot. I mean, it does a lot of things, but one way people use it is as a replacement for file system management because it has, you know, artificial intelligence. It has tags that work as a mobile app that recognizes tags. It's just, you know, what if, you know, in a lot of ways, Devin think answers the question. What if, you know, Apple had a team that was more responsive to user requests in the finder. That's kind of what they built. 
Um, so that's something that's, I think, worth checking out, and we'll, we'll cover that a lot more later. And then as we are heading into the release of Monterey and iOS 15, uh, Shortcuts has uh, file management tools that are, are going to be released with this next release. Uh, and this is like a cool bounce back. You know, all that file management stuff was already in Automator. So when they built shortcuts for the Mac, they had to like kind of integrate those tools. And since they did it on the Mac, they brought it back to the iPhone and the iPad. So suddenly we have a lot of cool file management automation tools heading our way as Apple releases these new updates over the next coming months. So there, there's actually a lot more out there for file management than just the built-in Finder. Um, one more, and honestly, I just got the press release on this and I, I just downloaded it last night, is uh, Readle, the company that makes um, PDF Expert. Mm-hmm. They had that Documents app, but now they have this DX Documents app for iPad and iPhone. And it is like a total rethink of it, which is really a file management system for iPad that is better than the Files app. It just occurred to me, we've got over an hour into the show and we've, we haven't even really mentioned the Files app on the iPad. <laughs> that says something about the Files app. Yeah, that is really, a, that really says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. It has come a long way. I mean, when, when iCloud first came out, right, you had to open the Pages document to get, or the Pages application to get to your Pages documents. Right, yeah, because no, Apple, I know you had to go to iTunes originally. Yeah, re- yeah, originally you were syncing them <laughs> across a wire. Yeah, and uh, it's been a slow, very slow pace to get to where it is today. But it is no Finder. It is it is limited in weird and seemingly arbitrary ways that I don't understand. Right, it's, it's like why is this very basic thing missing? Yeah, and it's just. I, I, just, I don't use it. I mean, because I use Dropbox, I just open the Dropbox app if I need to get something, and I never touch the Files app. Every time this comes up, it's really easy to make fun of Apple and say, man, those dummies, they don't get it. They aren't making a file management tool for iPad. And I really, I've had this like epiphany on the iPad over the last six months. Actually, really, the, the key day for me was WWDC 2021, because I felt like, the iPad either needs to really make a lot of steps in the direction of the the tools I need for me to use it as my daily mobile computer, or it doesn't. And I just really feel like the team at Apple's like, no, we we understand what power tools are. We just choose not to put them in the files app. You know, and again, I think it goes back to that data. What are people doing? with the iPad? And probably not many people are doing the stuff the really high-end stuff that that you know you and I would like it to do. And I think they've just made the choice to say, no, we're going to make it easier for 90% of the people. You know, we'd rather make it easy for 90% of the people than make it complex enough to handle that additional 10%, but make the other 90%, you know, make it difficult for them. Boy, I, I didn't really communicate that well. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, they're making mass market products and those of us at sort of the end of the bell curve just are going to get disappointed by that yeah and i i just realized after wwc that's what they want the ipad to be i mean the moment of realization for me was a dinner conversation with my kids because they're both in in college or grad school 
and they both have iPads that they love. You know, they use the heck out of them. They've got, they use the Apple pencils. They take notes in class. They, they are like the commercial for the iPad, you know, and they integrate it with their Mac perfectly. And they're super happy to go to class with their iPads only and work on their Mac for the bigger stuff. And, you know, they would, they'd make a great Apple commercial. And I'm sitting here trying to like edit 14 Excel files and wanting to throw it through a window. And I realize I need to become more like my kids. I need to use the iPad for what the iPad's good at. And until Apple decides to add a bunch of power tools that make it easier for me to do stuff that's really easy on my Mac, I got to stop trying to do that on the iPad. No, I, I get it. Uh, I yeah. feel the I feel the exact same way. Uh, you know, and this has come up a few times on the show, and I get a bunch of email from people saying that I'm, you know, I'm a quitter and I gave up on the iPad <laughs> and blah blah blah. But it's it's not that I gave up. I still use the iPad. I mean, I edit contracts with it. all the stuff that it's good at. I still do with it, but I've just stopped fighting it, you know, and I'm much happier using the iPad now that I'm not trying to put, you know, jam square pegs in round holes every day. Yeah. And, and I'm using my laptop a lot more, frankly. And uh, that's just the way it is. That was kind of a rant. I'm sorry. I went No, on. no. I mean, file management and the iPad, like, that's one of the big ones, boy. That yeah, and it's been a a theme around the iPad for the iPad's whole life, really. I mean, honestly, when, when the iPad first came out, there was no solution, and it's just been like slowly inching closer to the Mac, but in and very halted and sometimes diagonal steps from the place yeah. we'd like for it, for it to be. Well, I mean, just looking back at the stuff we've talked about in today's show, um, the tagging is, is possible on the iPad, but harder. Smart folders just don't even exist in the iPad. Um, cloud services do connect with the iPad, but it's always kind of iffy. You don't know if it's actually getting synced. It's, it's even more cryptic. Even Dropbox is more cryptic on the iPad than it is on a Mac. Mm-hmm. Like all the tools we're talking about here just don't exist there. And like the automation tools like Hazel that allow, you know, file the ultimate file management tool. Uh, if you want to do any sort of automation, that's, that's not possible on the iPad. You know, even when I was talking about Hazel today, it was using the iPad to set the tag, but running the, the actual automation on the Mac. So it just, the the iPad just does not have the tool set. And I get that it still is pretty amazing that you can like edit 4K video using some of the, the great software that people built for it. Or like in my case, work with PDFs. There is no better way to work with PDFs than an iPad, in my opinion. Trying to work with a PDF on a Mac to me feels like, you know, I don't know, it feels like being stuck in quicksand. But, <laughs> the, uh, but there are other things that it's just not good at in file management sadly is is one of those this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by setup go to setup.com and get more than 200 powerful apps for your mac try it for a week for free with a link in today's show notes getting things done is a challenge that everyone struggles with one way to tackle it is to make sure you have the right tools for your computer and that means having the right apps SetApp is on a mission to help users get more done. With SetApp, there's no more worrying about having to search for apps to solve a problem. SetApp packs over 200 apps for your Mac and iPhone into one. There's an app for almost any task, so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started. So you can think about your tasks, not apps. 
It's funny because as I was preparing for today's show, I wanted to reinstall Pathfinder and spend some time kicking the tires, and they had come out with an update. But just on a whim, I loaded up Setup because I'm a subscriber to Setup too, and sure enough, Pathfinder was in there, and I was able to get Pathfinder through my Setup subscription, so I didn't have to pay for it again. It's really great to have Setup because there are so many quality app developers that have joined in with the Setup team, and there's just so many great apps available to you with that $9.99 a month subscription. And believe me, I spend 10 bucks a month on a lot of dumb things, but Setup is not one of them. I'm really happy with this subscription. Not only does it deliver the big apps that I use every day, there's always these little apps that bring sparks of delight, and Setup has got so many of those as well. And not only is it more convenient, it's also a great value because instead of paying hundreds or even thousands of dollars for separate licenses, there's just one flat monthly fee. New apps are added to Setup regularly, updates are free, and all apps are full-featured pro versions. Head over to setapp.com to try Setup free for a week. If you like it, pay just $9.99 a month. That URL, once again, is setapp.com, and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Our thanks to Setup for their support of the Mac Power Users and all of Relay FM. So we've been talking around file management now for a while, Stephen. I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk through what are we doing individually to to manage files these days? You want to go first? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, mine is basically on the Mac. Like I said, I I don't open the Files app on the iPhone or iPad. Everything, I was kind of thinking back through like the data on my computer, and there's basically everything is in pretty much one of like four buckets. And so Dropbox is where almost every file on my computer that's not someplace else where it lives. And so tons of documents, tons of audio that is sort of in production or pre-production, right? It's how I send files around. It's how we send files to our editor for this show. It's how on Connected they send me their files for me to edit, right? It's, it's Dropbox is sort of the interchange for a lot of things in addition to me just using it for tons and tons of, of storage and, and active projects. Isn't it nice when you get a new Mac and you just connect it to Dropbox and your whole file system just shows up? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've got sort of this archives folder that used to be in Dropbox and now it's just on an SSD, you know, stuck inside my Mac pro, but, uh, fancy pants. Any, I know. I know. <laughs> Anything active is in, is in Dropbox, right? Like when I was doing all the production work for my Kickstarter, right? The calendar, all the photography, all the design files, everything was in a Dropbox folder because I could open it on my MacBook Pro and, and you know, make a quick change. And then that would change would be reflected back here at my desk when I came and sat down to, you know, lay out the calendar or whatever. And it Dropbox has become so ingrained in just the way that I, I work and the way I even think about files, it's it's hard to imagine using uh, using anything else. Past Dropbox, though, the sort of the other big buckets are iCloud Photos. All my photos and videos are there, unless they are for a specific like work project. So like footage I shoot for a YouTube video, I don't put those in photos, right? Because I'm not holding on to that footage. It's just for a, a project, and then it you know gets gets archived away. But I'm not using Dropbox for photo management. That's iCloud Photos. Sure. 
And then the last big bucket is is Devin Think, which we'll talk about in uh, in a couple of weeks. But like you said, you said it really well. It is its own sort of file system. So for me, it's sort of the the island on my computer where all the historical documents go. Yeah. Well, I mean, sounds like you're largely cloud based, and I'm sure Devin Think is probably being synced as well. Yeah, right? via Dropbox, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have that available to me everywhere as well. Yeah, for me, uh, like I said earlier, almost all file management anymore is done on a Mac or my laptop. Um, I have more of a mix of iCloud. I would say that my root is iCloud, that I have most files stored in iCloud. Dropbox largely at this point is stuff that I'm sharing with other people that are on Dropbox. And I made that move several years ago. Like I said, I think it was really inspired by me trying to get better file management on the iPad. And, you know, which in, was a futile gesture in hindsight. But, you know, I thought, well, if I use Apple's system, it'll work better. And it did, but it's still not good enough. Uh, but I have everything in iCloud. And not only do I have everything in iCloud, I have like hundreds of automations and file management stuff tied to those locations. So me just moving everything to Dropbox at this point would be, um, would probably cause havoc. It'd be more trouble than it's worth. And, even though I do like the versioning of Dropbox, I don't really like the direction of the Dropbox company. I feel like they've been trying to turn it into a bigger product, and it seems like they're always trying to find ways to get more money out of me. Totally. So like, ideally, I'd like iCloud to be able to handle everything, but just because of what I do, uh, both as an attorney and as a nerd, I collaborate with people who are on Dropbox, like Steven. You know, and so I've got to be able to work in their cloud as well, but I'm largely in iCloud and I, I'm not really looking to move back to Dropbox anytime soon. Although I do have a list of features I'd like to see iCloud eventually get, and I'm happy with iCloud. It works, but you know, I do have, it's like trust, but verify, <laughs> you know, I, I use iCloud, but I, on my Mac mini, everything is downloaded and it's frequently backed up. So I'm not really worried. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so iCloud is really my main like, cloud storage. I do keep some stuff in local storage. Um, I also use DevonThink a lot for a lot of different things, but that's for me, I'm using DevonThink added cloud kit sync um, about uh, maybe a year ago or less. And I feel like the cloud kit sync is more reliable and faster than the Dropbox sync uh, for DevonThink. So I use that, but you know, it kind of follows the theme here. I do keep some stuff on local drive like if I have very sensitive stuff from clients, I will not put it in cloud. Uh, sometimes I will um, encrypt a disk and upload it to cloud if I want to, but then I can't access it at cloud. I have to download and unencrypt if I need it. But usually I'll just leave it on local storage if that's the case. Uh, in addition to the cloud and the local storage, I have like an additional four terabyte drive attached to my my computer that is not um, cloud stuff. And, um, and that gets backed up to the cloud service and I'm sorry, it gets back to back to back place, not to the, uh, to Dropbox or iCloud. And um, so I've got file management there. And then I've got the whole backup system. I, we've talked about that on the show. So everything gets backed up. Um, I have found the emergence of the cloud really great because I love being like, you know, out and needing a file and being able to get to my phone and find that file and share it or, mm-hmm. I love being able to open my laptop and continue where I left off on my Mac mini, you know, 10 minutes earlier, you know, that I disc dream that we talked about at the beginning of the show, I am now living 
And I'm living it largely through iCloud, but Dropbox works too. And that totally changes the game, in my opinion, for file management. How do you, uh, you, you mentioned that you you have things downloaded in, in iCloud Drive. And I, we talked about this earlier, but so I want to clarify it here. On the Mac, iCloud Drive will download everything, correct? Well, no, it no. won't. It okay. gets smart, or you know, I'm using smart in quotes and leave some stuff up there. But if you right-click on any folder, any iCloud folder, and say download now, it will download now. You okay. can force it to download. And that's like when on that Mac Mini, I did that. And now it, I guess it's figured out on that computer I want everything downloaded because I rarely find anything that's not downloaded on that computer. And I'm stretching my... um my SSD to the limit on that computer because of it, but that just makes it easier to have everything and get everything backed up. You know, I don't have the ability with iCloud to my knowledge that I could push iCloud data into that external disk. Yeah. I don't there's think a way can. to do it. I've, I haven't figured it out, but, and I don't frankly want to, cause it fits on the internal drive and that's, that's the most important data. Okay. So I, you know, I, I'm making iCloud work. The versioning thing I do miss, but I, you know, I kind of have versioning. If I need to version something, I just go into the time machine and it's there. Yeah. I mean, if it's local, then you get all the benefits of those other systems, right? Yeah. I mean, even yeah. Backblaze, right? As long as it's local, yeah. uh, it can it can grab it for you. Yeah. I mean, that's the killer feature of Backblaze. If you have attached storage, that gets backed up too. So not only do I have the... The, uh, the Mac Mini getting backed up, but the four terabyte attached drive as well. I think Backblaze loses money on me. Maybe that's why they stopped sponsoring. They're like, this guy Sparks, he's ripping us off. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel the same way. I've got a lot of, a lot of stuff going on in, uh, in Backblaze. The last thing I would say is if you find yourself in the situation where you feel like you've got stuff sort of scattered, Right, I think we've all been there where you have things that some are on external drive, some are internal drive, some are Dropbox. Like it, it is not a bad use of time to sort through that stuff and make sure you know where things are. And, you know, if you have something like Dropbox or iCloud where maybe you have a lot of space you're already paying for, look at what you could consolidate or what makes sense to keep and not. You know, these services have a tendency to sort of just stick around and you know, it's like I know for me, I'm paying for enough iCloud space that I could put my Dropbox there. I choose not to for all those reasons I listed earlier, but you you may not be taking advantage of these things. So hopefully we had some stuff that was uh, uh, useful to you in this in this episode because I think spending a little time and cleaning things up and organizing is, it makes living with all this stuff a lot easier. Well, and also has so many payoffs first of all it's much easier to find and wrap your head around your data and so if you're looking for something it makes your searches more powerful another thing that it does is it makes you it forces you to realize where things are so you can you know weigh that against your backup system like if suddenly you realize your most important data is on an attached archive drive but that archive drive is not getting backed up more than, you know, once every six months, maybe you need to rethink your backup system. And, uh, I, I think knowing where your data is, is the first step. Yep, absolutely. And it is easy. I mean, 
even preparing for this, I was looking through this sort of secondary SSD I have. I was like, some of this stuff doesn't belong here. Some of the stuff should be elsewhere in Dropbox or in DevonThink. And it's it's easy to sort of uh, let it get away from you. Yeah. Happens fast. It does. Well, that's it for the file system in this modern age of the cloud. I hope you learned something today. I hope you found some some better ways to use your file storage. We are the Mac Power Users. We want to once again ask you to head over to the uh, St. Jude fundraiser if you can and check it out like we said at the top of the show. We'd really appreciate the Mac Power Users audience stepping up again for St. Jude. I just can't think of a better place to give money than St. Jude. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find the forums at talk.macpowerusers.com. And uh, thank you to our sponsors today. And that's our friends over at 1Password, SaneBox, Pingdom, and Setup. And we'll see you next time.